churches in Galatia, an area that we now know as southwestern Turkey. It was written sometime in the first century. It seems a long time ago, but in fact has words of wisdom still pertinent to us today. We hear today from the message version of the Bible, paraphrased by the late G Eugene Peterson. Let us open our ears, our minds, our hearts, and our souls. Stretch our imagination across time and space to hear what this ancient letter has to say to us today. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore them, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness yourself before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens. And so complete Christ's law and Christ's love. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then you sink yourself into that. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your whole own life. Be very sure you have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity. You, have, you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into it and a generous common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, they will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, in reality, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All they'll have to show for their life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in them, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued going good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance let us do the work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to you in the community of faith. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God in spirit, for the word of God among us.
So before we, before we have Abba speak, I'd love to do just a little bit of review together. Our summer worship se series has been? Who is your neighbor? Thank you. Right, and what did Jesus say were the most important commandments first? Say it louder, Mark. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, spirit. And the second commandment? Your neighbor love your neighbors yourself. So we've been doing a series inviting our neighbors. Can you help me remember who some of the neighbors are who've come to speak with us? Who is that? Tommy Vitolo, our state rep, came the very first Sunday of the series. Food pantry. Food pantry. Uh, they, they actually did not, but, but I'm glad that you thought they did. Um, this space is used during the week for the food pantry. So, yeah, Muslim friends, Rana and Faiza, came to share with us. Aaron and Rachel from our Thrifty Thread Shop shared about that community. Common Cathedral, our, their executive director, our friend Carrington Moore. The mental health group from our church about their work and reaching out in the community. Art Barn. Community Theater was last week as Matthew Kosick told us about their enthusiasm and their love of our space. Pastor Eric Hoke, who's been a visiting pastor in our midst this past year from Western Pennsylvania, taught us about uh, the, the spirit of Fred Rogers and, and neighborliness. And one last one, our second Sunday was... Raul Gonzalez, uh, former select per Fernandez. Fernandez, thank you. Raul Fernandez, former select person, the first Latinx member of Brookline Select Board, who also teaches about diversity, equity, and inclusivity at Boston University. Today, I'm grateful to welcome Abba. I'll say just something about her in a minute. When I first came here about 10 years ago, Jock came to visit me in my office. And he gave me the Understanding Brookline Report, because I believe at the time you served on the board of the Brookline Community Foundation. And he said, this is something that's very important to me. And that report said that in Brookline, about 13% of our neighbors live somewhere around the poverty line. In a town that considers itself affluent, that is a magnet for people, when we see housing prices rising all around us, that seemed like somewhat shocking news. Also, that given that we have some of the richest people in the Commonwealth living within our town borders. And it's always stayed in my mind about what is our role as neighbors to be good neighbors for those people who are around us and are in need. You heard Mike read from Galatians 6, share one another's burdens for with those who are oppressed. You can start right here in your community and share that outward. So I was thrilled when uh, Deb Hall and I finally got to sit down this spring with Abba Taylor, who's a relatively new, still in your first year, right, with Brookline Community Foundation, and just hear a little bit about what she's dreaming and thinking of. And we were proud to be a sponsor of their new report on understanding Brookline, which discovers that the poverty level has gone down to about 10%, but we've got some other issues. About 25% of people living here struggle to make ends meet, is one of the discoveries from the data. Uh, this report, they're trying to encourage us to use non-paper copies, so I put a link in the blog this week. If you go to their website, you will find your own copy that you can read. I encourage us all to get familiar with the findings of this report. I was thrilled when Abba said she'd come and be a part of our series, uh, and then I learned she was going to be away at a retreat on St. Croix, and I was even more grateful she would fly back to be with us. As you heard in the prayer, she got some difficult family news, too, so our hearts surround you today, Abba, in the midst of this loving community. We're so glad you have come.
Um, is this working? Okay, great. Uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Kent, and the United Parish leadership for inviting me to speak. Um, as Kent said, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm mourning right now. I'm, I'm in deep grief, and um, so I hope y'all can bear with me. I, I told him I would be very unpolished. I just flew in from St. Croix last night, um, so I'm still adjusting. Um, but I'm not only thankful of this invitation to speak with you all, I am also grateful of this church's intentionality to learn more about the community we're rooted in. It is such a simple and fundamental value, learning about your neighbors, but it's one that is so removed from practice in, I think, the everyday world. Even though I'm not of Christian faith, I do fundamentally believe the expression, love thy neighbor, is something that should be universal, a, a, a universal mandate. And in order to love thy neighbor, one must get to know thy neighbor, yes? And so I appreciate that this learning series of neighborly presentations offered by this church is something that shows you're not only talking the talk, but you're walking the walk. Speaking of loving thy neighbor, this is literally what brings me here today. Last fall, as Kent said, I became the executive director of the Brookline Community Foundation, one of the key organizations driving philanthropy in Brookline. Some of you may know the word philanthropy comes from two Greek roots, philos, meaning love or affection, and anthropos, meaning mankind, let's just say humankind. So the work that I do, the work that we do at BCF, is quite literally about loving humankind. As a community foundation, we concentrate our love to the people of Brookline. In addition to working with philanthropic donors and change agents, we partner with local community organizations to invest and build capacity through grant making and technical assistance. But we also convene community members who are really well known for bringing people together to the table to help figure out some of the solutions in our community. And we do research, as Kent said, with our Understanding Brookline series. We have four key values that I think are so fundamental to the work that we do. The first is lead by listening. We know that listening helps us understand a community's strengths, challenges, needs, and opportunities. And as a funder, we're not coming into the community to tell folks what they need, but we need to hear what people are needing. So that's our first, our first value. Anchored in equity is our second. Equity is a vision for us that we're working towards, but it's also a process that we're using to get where we need to go and hold ourselves accountable. Sustainable support is our third value. This is critical for all the nonprofits that we work with, for our neighbors, and for our own organization. And then our fourth value is community first. Everything we do is about the community. It guides our work. It is literally about our neighbors and putting them first. This kind of philanthropy, this love of humankind, is, in my opinion, a manifestation of love in action. Susan Batten-Taylor writes, quoted, that philanthropy is love in action. 
And she also said philanthropy is a form of activism. Another quote that has always resonated for, for me, and I'm gonna be sharing a lot of quotes with y'all, sorry, that's what I do, um, is one by Dr. Cornell West. He said that justice is what love looks like in public. So I appreciated that first song we had this morning. This sentiment has been at the root of what I've been doing for over 25 years. I grew up in Boston in a working class immigrant community. When I was 10, I was thrown into the elite world of New England private schools. My sense of the haves and the have nots was only further complicated by the fact that in spite of growing up in a low income environment that was pretty insulated from social or family supports, as immigrants, my parents didn't know about the different systems, the government support available to them, and their families were in another continent, so they very much relied on themselves. But nevertheless, I was made to understand that living in the United States was a privilege in and of itself, and that we were comparatively much better off than our family back home in Ghana, who in fact relied on support from family members in the United States to survive. Just like philanthropy, sending money back home to family in Ghana is an inherent way of sharing our modest resources with those who loved, who we loved, who were less fortunate than us. Remittances are such a fundamental part of the immigration experience. According to the World Bank, they are the largest source of external finance to low and middle income countries, more so than foreign direct investment and all of the development aid. The World Economic Forum estimates that $800 billion were sent back home to middle-income countries. Again, not from banks or international aid, but from migrant workers. People who are just trying to make ends meet, many of whom are just trying to make ends meet in foreign lands. This is another manifestation of love and action. As I grew up with this practice, I now realize that this was instilled in me at a very young age, the awareness that no matter how much you might work, might be working to make a comfortable life for yourself, or even if you're just getting by, there are likely others who are still struggling even more. And it is out of this practice of love that we commit to taking care of each other as best we can. So in numerous ways, I've always been guided by that principle of loving and supporting those who have less, suffer, who struggle, and barely have enough, in a, even in a system that creates and surrounds us with abundance, even when it appears like opportunity is everywhere. I know firsthand what it's like to see opportunity in arm's reach, but not have access to it. It's like pounding your fist on a glass wall and cutting yourself trying to break free, trying to break through to the other side. In this country, and in this microcosm of this country of Brookline, Massachusetts, I continue to be guided by my belief that with the abundance of resources here in Brookline, nobody should be struggling. This is why we work at BCF, to raise awareness about the myriad realities that folks in Brookline face. We constantly remind people that Brookline is a well-resourced community, but it's not an equitably resourced one. While many folks have the option of buying and selling homes for millions of dollars, others struggle to make tough decisions about whether they are going to use their last $10 on groceries for their families or to pay their rent. 
and I'm not exaggerating about this number. I know these stories because at BCF we get the bird's eye view of the needs and the offerings throughout Brookline due to our supportive role as a philanthropic partner to dozens and dozens, almost 50 organizations around town. Our love of humankind in Brookline, our philanthropy has manifested in about 851 donors and in 2022 we gave out about over $2 million. During COVID-19, we were a key partner with the town in distributing resources to those most impacted. And through our partnerships with organizations, we were able to support approximately 13,000 Brookline residents just with our safety net program, which is about taking care of essential needs. We have other programs as well, but I wanna zoom in on the Understanding Brookline report. As Kent said, it was shocking to me to learn that we had this high level of poverty in Brookline and that 50% of homeowners, excuse me, 50% of the community were renters. Um, so another 50% were homeowners. In the most recent report, I am really heartbroken to know that one in every four neighbors are struggling financially, economically, socially. If I look around this room, I gather there may be 60 people right now, maybe more, maybe less. But statistically, let's say there were 60 people, that means about 15 of us in this room are, not strugg are struggling, are not making it right now. And sometimes it's not always visible. Sometimes we don't know. For some economic vulnerability, that so many members in our community experience can be as evident as traveling past this very church and witnessing the notable line of the food pantry located here that serves about five to 600 individuals and families every week. For others, the, sign might be, the signs might be easier to miss as many of the existing support systems are offered discreetly to our neighbors or maybe our neighbors are just struggling in silence. James Baldwin, who's a personal patron saint of mine, said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. My hope is that through BCF's latest report, we can once again help Brookline face our current realities, no matter how disconnected or stratified they may appear, and we can work to make change happen. A philanthropic organization that I was once affiliated with had a very simple but powerful tagline about their approach, and it was change, not charity. Many philanthropic leaders are moving away from the notion of charitable generosity, which is still important and can still be an act of love, but are moving towards the notion of transformation and justice. Again, back to Dr. Cornel West's quote, justice being an act of public love. I know that I'm supposed to address how my spirituality connects to my work, and for me, the two are quite simply inseparable. For me, love is spiritual practice, and I do that both in private and in public, in my personal life and all throughout my professional life, via my unwavering commitment to justice. 
I've summarized my life, both professionally, personally, and spiritually, as being in pursuit of liberation, period. It's no coincidence, then, that I've been a practitioner and a public servant of justice and social change for almost as long as I've been a practitioner of spiritual liberation. My spiritual practice comes in many forms, including Buddhism, which I first began exploring at the age of 14, much to the chagrin of my very Catholic mother. <laughs> One of the oldest memories on a lesson about the Buddha that I've held was learning the distinction between the Buddha, who is someone who crossed the symbolic river to attain enlightenment, and a bodhisattva, someone who is in pursuit of enlightenment but has yet to make it to the opposite shore. They haven't made it to the opposite shore yet because they're still helping others cross the river. The spiritual practice of holding both individual and the collective pursuit of liberation runs deep in me. In my opinion, Harriet Tubman was a bodhisattva in pursuit of her freedom and yet committed to helping others get free as well. Kent spoke about this time that I just had in St. Croix. It was a retreat for black women in philanthropy. On the very first day, the uh, leader of the St. Croix Community Foundation, a black woman, said she likes to think of the philanthropic work that we do as the new Underground Railroad. I'm so deeply moved by this analogy. A community and a place-based network of people working together to use their resources to help achieve their basic human rights. Helping folks across the river, remittances, philanthropy, all of these practices go beyond our individual survival and comfort and demonstrate love and action for our people, whoever our people may be. My vision for Brookline is to simulate this new underground railroad so that everyone gets their essential needs and their basic human rights met, bare minimum, the very least. There's so much work to be done in the name of love and justice. And one thing I know, excuse me, is that not one person, not one organization, not even one group can do it all. This is why the network that BCF supports is so critical. It's a network of community members from all walks of life, local organizations, town leaders, and all of those in between working together. It is a philanthropic network based on loving our neighbors. I welcome you to join this network. I will leave you with one last quote. This quote has been attributed to the Australian indigenous teacher, writer, and activist, Layla Watson. Although she herself credits the quote to the collective community and the quote is, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you are here because your liberation is bound with mine, then let us work together. I invite each of you here today in the spirit of loving humankind to work with me and BCF and the rest of the community and not only knowing our neighbors, but loving our neighbors and achieving what Dr. Martin Luther King called beloved community a community where wealth and resources are shared in which everyone is cared for, absent of poverty, hunger, and hate. This is the new Underground Railroad. Please join us. Thank you.